Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Yale Global Online is the flagship publication of the Yale Center for the Study of Globalization and explores the implications of the world's growing interconnectedness through people, products, and ideas. The Paradox of Muslim Weakness by Sadanand Doom, writing from Washington. In the years since 9-11, two broad narratives have emerged in the West to explain the nature of the so-called War on Terror. On the right, it has become commonplace to equate Islamism, the ideology that seeks to order 21st century societies by the medieval norms enshrined in Islamic Sharia law, with a long line of totalitarian threats to liberal democracy. Victor Davis Hansen of the Hoover Institution, for instance, calls it a foul apparition that has succeeded fascism, Nazism, and communism as the world's next bane. The left, not surprisingly, sees the issue as a product of poverty or flawed policies toward the Middle East. Robert Fisk of The Independent blames Islamist terrorism on political situations and injustice in various parts of the world. Both views are flawed. Conservatives rightly emphasize the power of Islamism as an idea and the global ambitions of its adherents, but fail to acknowledge the movement's lack of military and intellectual heft or its limited global appeal compared to communism in its heyday. Liberals correctly point out that talk of a Muslim takeover of Europe is delusional, or at the very least, premature. But they fail to see that in the Muslim-majority societies of Asia and the Middle East, Islamism remains a powerful and growing force. Better organized, better motivated, backed by the threat of violence and protected by cultural norms that prohibit any criticism of Islam, Islamists are able to alter the nature of society even where they don't hold formal power. Unless beleaguered moderates from Iraq to Indonesia can find a way to stand down the mob and broaden the war of ideas, they'll continue to lose ground to a tenacious movement that believes it has both God and history on its side. At first glance, the familiar comparison of the war on terror with the Cold War appears reasonable enough. Like communists, Islamists value the group over the individual, justify the use of violence for political ends, and nurture an almost visceral antipathy to a world order dominated by wealthy liberal democracies. Moreover, in this new Cold War, Moscow and Beijing can easily be swapped with Riyadh and Tehran, Karl Marx with Al Jazeera's equally hirsute Yusuf al-Qaradawi, and the Soviet's World Federation of Democratic Youth with the Saudi-funded World Assembly of Muslim Youth. The threat within, once symbolized by Western Communist parties and their sympathizers, is now represented by such Islamist-friendly groups as the Council on American-Islamic Relations and the Muslim Council of Britain. Moreover, the argument goes, whereas communist and capitalist proxies skirmished in such remote corners as Angola and Afghanistan, Islamists have brought their battle to the heart of the West. Suddenly, New York, London, and Madrid are as much battlegrounds as Beirut and Baghdad. Plausible though it appears, this formulation exaggerates Islamist strength and underestimates the effectiveness of the West institutions and the resilience of its societies. True, Islamist intimidation has curbed free speech in some places. The Dutch and the Danes must tread lightly when criticizing Islam or contemplate a life of bodyguards and safe houses. But it has also spawned a generation of bold Muslim thinkers in the West, 
Ayan Hirsi Ali, Irshad Manji, and Asri Nomani, to name just three, who are willing to ask the uncomfortable questions that tend not to be asked in their countries of origin. Terrorism has been contained. Only foiled plots make the front pages these days. Moreover, Islamism, steeped in a joyless, literal reading of Islam, cannot hope to extend its appeal in the West beyond a minority of a minority, those Muslims drawn to its stark, utopian vision. Osama bin Laden's visage will never grace nearly as many t-shirts as Che Guevara's. The weakness of Islamists in the West is matched by the backwardness of the Muslim world. In its prime, the Soviet Union could reasonably claim to match the United States in such varied fields as chess, ballet, mathematics, Olympic sports, aviation, technology, and space exploration. Strip away the accident of oil wealth from Muslim lands and we're left with societies that cumulatively boast fewer achievements than a single mid-sized Asian power, albeit an exceptional one, such as Korea. This reality makes it easy to dismiss the Islamist threat, as do most Western liberals, or to shrink its dimensions to the activities of a handful of terrorist groups, Al-Qaeda or Southeast Asia's Jama'a Islamiyah. Yet, paradoxically, it's precisely the sorry state of Muslim societies that makes Islamism such a formidable force. Reminded daily that they are recipients of God's final revelation, a large minority of Muslims, perhaps between 10 and 15 percent, embrace the Islamist idea that the cause of their backwardness lies not in a failure to embrace modernity, but in a failure to fully embrace their faith. Many more, while not Islamists themselves, are broadly sympathetic to a worldview that's steeped in conspiracy theories and compulsively blames Muslim failures on outsiders. Jews, Americans, and Freemasons are favorite boogeymen. Of course, neither religious obscurantism nor a lack of self-criticism in a Muslim monopoly. India has its Hindu fundamentalists who ride against Muslims and attack painters and scholars, America its Christians waging war against Darwin in the classroom. Nonetheless, the danger to liberal democracy that Islamists pose in Muslim countries is of an entirely different order. Islamists, although almost always a minority, tend to be better motivated and better organized than their opponents. Weak or sympathetic courts and police allow them to use violence or the threat of violence to control the public square, whether by driving the local edition of Playboy out of Jakarta or by capturing the road to the airport in Beirut. Cultural norms, even in relatively open countries such as Malaysia and Indonesia, put any public criticism of Islam out of bounds. The Spaniard who supports contraception and gay rights can flatly declare that he doesn't care what the Bible says or what the Pope thinks an Indonesian or Pakistani who says the same about the Quran and the Prophet Muhammad invites charges of Islamophobia and threats of violence. The influence Islamists exert on the streets and on public discourse has had consequences. Even where they have not claimed formal power, as in Egypt or Pakistan or Indonesia, Islamists have led their societies in an illiberal direction. In Egypt, female university students come under greater pressure to wear the headscarf today than they did a generation ago. In parts of Pakistan, Islamists have declared war on music and soap operas. In Indonesia, Christians and heterodox Muslims such as the Ahmadiyya often find their churches and mosques under siege. In each of these countries, those who reject the Islamist message, who believe that gender equity, freedom of speech, and freedom of conscience are universal values and not merely Western ones, 
must do so with one hand tied behind their backs. So while talk of Islam's inroads in Washington, London, and Paris may indeed be overblown, the special conditions in the Muslim world ensure that the threat to liberal democracy in Jakarta, Kuala Lumpur, and Islamabad is not about to disappear anytime soon. This and other Yale Global articles can be found at yaleglobal.yale.edu.